Welcome to the 1110 Leadership Podcast, where we tackle issues at the intersection of leadership, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Rob Shields, Vice President of Strategy at 1110 Leadership, and I'm joined by my co-host, founder and CEO of 1110 Leadership, David Spicker. Proverbs 1110 lays out a bold and countercultural vision. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. We're here to ask, what does it look like practically to be this type of leader? Leaders willing to invest everything they have so that everyone around them can thrive. Join us on the journey as we lean in, listen, and learn how to become Proverbs 1110 kind of leaders. The kind of leaders that make our cities rejoice. David. Hey, Rob. Welcome back to the 1110 Leadership Podcast. We are back in the saddle, and it feels good to be back. It does. So our listeners will recall that we kicked off with the first quality, seeing the whole playing field, and there was a lot of meat on those bones. I would encourage, this. we're doing these episodes in series, so this series kind of kicks off the, the four qualities of a just leader, like we introduced last time. And for our listeners who maybe someone shared this podcast with you, you're listening for the first time, would encourage you to go back, even back to the Just Foundations episode that kind of helps set up the book. We're going to be doing an overview of these four qualities, and at times it may feel like an overview, but don't worry, we will come back. We're going to be circling back and doing each of these qualities justice for sure, because you dedicate entire chapters to what we may be talking about for for five or six minutes. And so don't worry if you're feeling like we're leaving stuff out. That is intentional. We're leaving you wanting. This is just meant to set up the book and then we're as an overview and an outline. And then we plan to, to come back to it. So David, on deck today for episode 11, quality number two, building cultural competency. I love this one. It might be my favorite. Are we allowed to have favorites? I'll let you have favorites, Rob. You'll let me have a favorite? You're, okay. on the, you're on the inside. I know they're all equally weighted, but th- I think this one is just so rich and it's so relevant. All of them are, but this one feels palpable, especially just in our, in our cultural context of the things with, that we've experienced over the last couple of years. So many practical applications from this one, but it means we need to really take this one seriously. So let's start by just defining some terms. David, what do you mean when you unpack this in the book around what it means to be culturally competent? Unpack that phrase for us. And why is it so crucial for leaders to be culturally competent in today's landscape? Cultural competency is really the ability to firm, build trust with, and effectively engage people across different cultures. It's vital for leaders. If leaders want to be world-class, we talk about this in the book, just the, the nature of, of our world today is requiring leaders to have both the skill and the savvy to cross different cultures in order to be world-class leaders. They are dealing with cultural issues on a daily basis within their workplaces and even their communities. And, you know, these issues are not extra or on the side, but they're central to their experience and they're central to the goals of their organizations. And so for leaders to be in a place where they're effective, they're able to build trust with their people, they're able to accomplish their goals, it is extremely important that they build their muscles around what it means to be culturally competent. Hmm. 
I love, you know, in the book, when you tackle this and the one of the several chapters, as you frame this out, you say our choice isn't whether we swim in a culture or not, it's whether we acknowledge it or not. And then what we do with that knowledge, leaders who can understand culture will flourish as will those around them. Leaders who can't will struggle as will those around them. You're really kind of not really leaving a choice. And I think that to me, that's what I, I don't know about you, but as we observe our work with leaders, that's what maybe has been the biggest cultural shift in the last three years specifically, going back to maybe 2020, this paradigm shift of, oh, previously, maybe maybe there was a way, like the ice was thick enough. And it feels like the ice now has, has shrunk under leaders where that, that choice just doesn't really exist unless you're in a, I mean, I don't know, very specific exceptions to that rule, but they are exceptions to the rule. And really, as, as leaders of faith specifically, we shouldn't be taking a posture of do, trying to avoid it if we can, but looking to scripture as our guide for what, is, what would God have us do when it comes to engaging culture and how do we do that in a healthy way that doesn't compromise our faith. Those are slippery waters, right, David? Yeah, and I would just add too, and we're seeing this, companies whose leaders haven't built cultural competency are being left behind. Hmm. So it's almost like if you're understanding trends and what's coming down, you know, you're looking out into the future and understanding what's coming. And so as a company, you prepare for the latest technology or the latest whatever it is. This is similar. Companies understand that these issues are not only coming, but they're here and present. And therefore, they need to be prepared for that and, again, build the skills around it. And let me just say, too, for leaders like me, particularly white men, not exclusively white men, but it's easy to miss that we live in a culture. When we ask leaders the question, how would you define your culture or what do you like about your culture, hmm. we, we see them going, huh, I've never thought, thought about, about that, that before. <laughs> yeah. I live in a culture, what, or what is my culture? Because we live in the dominant culture. Right. What's normal about our culture is just the way we live. And it's just baked into the water that governs everything around us. So we don't typically think about our culture, my culture, and how I navigate culture. So one of the very first steps of being a culturally competent leader is just acknowledging that you have a culture, mm. that you live in a culture, that there are other cultures, and we need to know how to navigate them. Yeah. I think that's a great disclaimer because it sets up who do we need to be learning from, which is a callback to our previous episode around seeing who can we be learning from to address our own blind spots if we don't have a history because our, our experience as white leaders is normative in our society, that means the best teachers are going to be people who don't have that experience, who they know their culture because it's not normative, and they've had to be a master at this to live and to navigate the world, navigate injustice that may you know, disproportionately affect their group versus the normative group. And so I think that's also a good guide for us. And if you are a white leader listening, that means the key to growing cultural competence doesn't really exist without diversifying who is speaking into to this. You're going to need trainers who have a different lived experience f from you in this area. They use those muscles. They have to use those muscles every day. Yeah. And so it, it makes a ton of sense. That yeah. That's where, we would, that's, that's where we would learn. 
So before we go out into the world, let's go inward to the root of, of what anchors so much. We, we named our podcast from a verse in the Bible, right? So where is this in Scripture when it comes to cultural competence? We've also seen this, David, be a struggle, I think, for some of the folks we work with when it comes to understanding this concept and knowing that actually Scripture speaks to it. Because that may not be something that was heard in their upbringing when it comes to how faith was introduced to them. And so it can be a little bit of pushback. Is this an area that actually is relevant in Scripture where there are examples that we can pull from? But there, there are tons. Tons. So, I mean, the whole, uh, the whole Bible is, is steeped in culture as you look throughout the Old Testament and all the people groups and ethnicities that you see and the, the challenges between those people groups. Jesus, of course, is born in, you know, in the Middle East. He's part of a culture. He mm. grew up in poverty. And so he is deeply tied to the ethnicity and the culture that was, was his life. You see this, too, in terms of where we're headed, that in the new heavens and the new earth, all people from all nations, tribes, and tongues will be worshiping around the throne and giving glory to the Lamb of God. So this is God's design that we are we reflect his image with all the unique flavors and ethnicities that create the vast array of cultures in our world and that he's going to unify us in the end around his throne and that we're going to have an eternal experience of being together. We're all good news. We're all going to be culturally competent Mm. in the new heavens and new earth. Culture does not go away. It is celebrated and and magnified. Mm. And I I use a a story um, in the Bible of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well as just a really key example of Jesus displaying cultural competency in the interaction he has with that woman and pull out 10 principles in that story that show how Jesus demonstrated cultural competency, which I hope is a great framework and a guide for all of us to learn how to build cultural competency. So I love I love that that sets up my next question here because we went backwards you went to the past then you went to the future now let's take it to the present the only stone left uncovered here when you think about today and the issues particularly the the thorny issues around culture that you see strug- leaders struggling with today can you think of a practical example of how you know these these issues really aren't as black and white as the media or politicians would portray them you know, on TV, where it's you're looking for the kind of that hot take or that what about take that really just causes division. But when you get in, you roll up your sleeves. There's there's so much nuance that make making decisions around cultural competence and how it's played out in the workplace incredibly difficult and can be really fuzzy at times. So, can you think of what are the, what are those issues right now that rise to the surface that maybe some of the ones that you, that you dive into in the book? Yeah, so they're very complex, and I would say, too, that they're they're not just the flavor of the month, and that's really important as we think about these issues. Typically, people see these hot topics in the news, or they're talked about 
in in ways that make them more visible and they feel like this is just what we're dealing with now and then we move on but again truly just leaders and leaders who have cultural competency understand that these are issues that are always there and things that we need to address all the time so you know the issues we think about are diversity and equity and inclusion so dei programs that are very much more prevalent and visible and people have different views and perspectives on that but how to build a diverse workforce and how to engage across race uh, and ethnicity Um, more and more issues of sexuality and gender identity issues are becoming prevalent for leaders in the marketplace even economic diversity, how you have a group of people, employees who come from different places of economic status and how you create an environment where everyone at your company can thrive and some of whom have tremendous barriers to work that they have to overcome. And how as leaders do we help acknowledge those barriers and create opportunities for our employees to overcome those barriers? As I think about those issues, you asked a practical example. I think of one of the leaders that we work with who, whose company specializes in building high-end apartment complexes. And in one of the cities where they work, the city wanted to put a Black Lives Matter mural outside of the complex. And uh, there was a lot of debate around whether that mural should go in Uh, to that location. And the leader's tenants were really upset. They were disappointed about this. And they expressed uh, to the leader how they were really uh, displeased and adamant that such a mural wouldn't be located outside their home because they felt like that would draw in protests and people who would create tension outside of their home and just bring things to their area that just they did not want. And so some of the residents uh, wanted to get out of their contract. They wanted uh, those who were interested in the property lost interest in the property. The investors in the company also were uh, thinking that they were at risk of losing money in their investment. And even the leader staff was just frustrated that these kinds of issues were impacting their work and they didn't know what to do. And so for this leader who wants to affirm black lives, who mm-hmm. doesn't want to be a leader who you know, says this is not something that I want to affirm, but also has real issues related to his company and his tenants, his staff, his stakeholders, his investments that are very real that he has to navigate. So he's caught in between. Mm-hmm. And what should he do? So that's an example of kind of the complexity of this, that it's not either or, and leaders have to think of all kinds of factors to figure out how they're going to respond in a situation like that. Yeah, what I love about that example is it really emphasizes the point that there's so much nuance here, because there's not an answer to that situation that makes everyone happy. But I think what it also highlights, we talk about the bottom line every time we end our episodes. And I think for just leaders, the bottom line is never just the bottom line. 
right? You, you don't look at that scenario and say, you may have stakeholders and you will because you don't control all aspects of a deal or of a, of a company. Rarely are you the only decision maker where there's not other people who are influencing and shaping a decision. But if you're leaning into trying to be what, you know, how scripture, scripture is outlined for what does it mean to be just and how to apply that practically to your leadership, your bottom line is going to be more expansive than just maximizing profits. And it's going to be a lot riskier because of that. And I think it starts with, again, being self-aware, being self-aware, knowing yourself and how you show up to that situation, knowing knowing other people's stories. You talked about lived experience earlier. There are so many layers to that onion of the example you just unpacked, David. And so it requires excellent sight to be just and knowing that you're going to be disappointing others. You're going to have to also develop some thick skin when it comes to getting feedback and potentially losing money. Yeah, there, there are two things that stand out to me, which you've just articulated. One is the leader has to really understand what success is and yeah. how he or she defines success. And the second is what is the leader willing to risk? Hmm. And, you know, they woke up that morning thinking that was not on their plate that day. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, those weren't the decisions that they had to make that day. So again, it's really important for leaders to think about these things ahead of time because issues like this are coming if they haven't already come. And typically what happens is leaders find themselves in more of a reactionary posture instead of a proactive posture, Mm. which makes them in a place where they may not make a, a good decision. Yeah. So if I'm a listener and I can see myself in that story or could see a situation like that, right, popping up in my workplace, I imagine the blood pressure could start to rise and say, you know what, this this sounds really scary. And I'd be terrified of making the wrong decision or not knowing what to do and being caught where I feel like I've got to give a response, maybe quickly, maybe even that day. So what would you say to the leader who would be scared of making a mistake and feels like the safest thing to do would be to honestly try to operate in their leadership in a way that just tries to avoid these issues whenever possible. Yeah. What I would say is the worst mistake is doing nothing Mm. and trying to avoid the issue. Uh, You're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Mm. And I just, if you hear nothing else, I would just want to give you a big bucket of grace (laughs) 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 to pour over you. Uh, because you're just going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We all are going to make mistakes. We all have. And uh, the, the, the worst problem is that we act like it's not there and we just avoid it and, and move on. Mm-hmm. But all this takes time. It takes, you know, building uh, reps around these issues. It, you know, you're going to need to have the time to understand your context and know your history. And it takes time to build trust with people across cultural lines. It takes extending grace. It takes practicing forgiveness, embracing reconciliation, making sacrifices, and really prioritizing relationship. And for many business leaders, they're listening to what I just said and like, okay, when are we going to do that? Yeah, when is that fitting in my calendar? 
And so this goes back to what we said in earlier episodes. Being just is not what you do, it's who you are. Mm. And so you end up having to approach these things with a different set of lenses. So the kinds of things I just said becomes baked into how you operate Mm. because that's how you're now wired. And you recognize that these things are critical for your success, particularly long-term success. Because most of the decisions we're making in these kinds of incidents where something bubbles up, where there's cultural tension, we're making decisions with a very short view in mind because we have to make it now. Hmm. When typically the best decision has a much longer horizon on it. And so we've got to, again, approach this through a a set of lenses that allows us to see from that perspective. That's really good. I love the shift from what we do to ultimately it's who we are. And then what we do is an extension of who we are. And that's, that's character, but also, which we'll return to it in the future. It is a radical redefinition of what success actually is. And it feels like you could go back to that analogy around the Black Lives Matter mural and jump straight into, okay, here's what I would do. But if you don't step back and assess, what is my prerogative? What is the value that which I'm not willing to compromise in this situation? And I'm okay losing money versus I'm not okay losing money. You're going to react so differently with each of those hypotheses. And so I think stepping back and doing that assessment work of, of, of who, who are we as we enter in these decisions and realizing that if we want to be truly transformative in how we lead, this is the work. This is the work and the journey that we go on, and it never stops. So as we start to land the plane here, David, let's get super practical here. If I'm a leader and I'm like, they're tracking with us in this conversation, and they want to even just get do a quick assessment, ask some self-audit questions around their own cultural competency, right? Because if, if it's all about blind spots, how do I know? How do I know how culturally competent I am? What what would be good revealing questions that someone could ask themselves to start to get a glimpse of some threads that, that might be helpful for them to pull on in their leadership? Yeah. So in the book, I actually provide eight questions that leaders can ask themselves to give them a, a grid for helping them see how culturally competent they are. And I won't go through all of them now, but here, here are some of them that give you a sense of that. One is how many trusting relationships do I have with people who have a different economic, political, or ethnic background from me? In other words, look at your friendships and your network and how diverse are they across ethnicity, across political ideology, across economics. You know, it's important for us to take steps to build diverse relationships and connect with people who are different than we are. And if everyone looks like us, thinks like us, comes from the same background as us, it's going to be very difficult to develop cultural competency. Hmm. I love the idea of like look, looking back at your phone at the last 10 people you texted and do they all have the exact same lived experience as you? And, and then how far back would you have to go in your text history to get to someone with a different lived experience. I mean, that, that kind of tells you how insulated are you? And especially if you are white, you, you might have to go quite, quite a long 
time because your experience can be normative and you're having to do some serious work to swim upstream against that current. Right. Yeah. For those of us who are white, we have to be intentional. Yeah. If we're not intentional, the the normative culture will just sweep us down the, the river hmm. and uh, we're not swimming upstream. Another question is, can I speak to others in such a way they are valued and respected even when I have something to say they do not agree with? And so how do we move toward people with whom we have real disagreement or we come from different places? Can we build trusting relationships with those with whom we have those differences? And then one, this this last one I'll mention is simply, how well do I listen? Am am I a good listener? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, Rob. Ah. How well do I listen we can get, if we're married, we can get great practice just listening to our spouses and building that muscle, quick to listen, slow to speak, hmm. being really attentive. But I would say this for leaders, you know, are we listening to our people? Hmm. Are we listening to their stories? Do we un- go back to what we said and seeing the whole playing field? We talked about seeing others. Do we hear their fears? Do we hear their dreams? Where can we build common connections with people? Because even though we come from different backgrounds, I guarantee you, you can find common ground with people who are different than you are. And so it's very important to be a good listener. Hmm. I think that's especially important for leaders who have the microphone a lot. You know, they may not actually have a literal microphone in their work, but they have platforms and people are used to listening to them. But oftentimes that could be a muscle that maybe is underdeveloped in their ability to listen really well and not just tune out when their people are talking. And, you know, there, there's a lot of people who are, are listening to this who have an incredible opportunity right there at their, in their workplace to just start by being a really good listener and really build in cultural competency by listening to other people's stories and trying to practice empathy with someone else's lived experience that is vastly different than their own. Okay, David, let's give folks the bottom line here. What would you like to leave leaders with when it comes to building cultural competence in their leadership? Rob, is it okay if I hit you with a heavy bottom line? I feel like it wouldn't be appropriate considering the subject matter. I mean, I can't think of a light one when it comes to this topic. What's the surface level yeah. answer for building cultural competency, you know? Yeah, as as I think about this, and particularly as we're transitioning this idea from being leaders who see the whole playing field and then who then build cultural competency, there's a step in between that's really important. Hmm. And that is to lament and then to repent. And I don't, I didn't mean to do that with the rhyming words. <laughs> it does make it stickier. But it does make it stickier. You know, if we look back at our last few years and think about the cultural issues that have taken place in our society, there's much to lament. Hmm. We need to be really sad and to cry out to God about the things that have taken place and the tensions that have occurred. Lamenting is a deep soul, crying out to God, being very honest with him, saying, why, why, God, is this happening? But doing so with not without hope, knowing that in the end, God can make all things new and he will make all things new. And so it is also a cry for help that he will change these things and make things right. So it's important not just to 
jump too quickly to solutions, Mm. but to really spend time grieving what has taken place. And then secondly, to repent. All of us have ways in which we have done things either known or unknown that have actually contributed to the brokenness that is around cultural division. And so it's important for us to name that, to try to identify it, to understand the things that we have done and can uh, try to root that out of us so that we can be people who are more a part of the solution than the problem. Mm. And there's a ton of grace that God offers with this, Mm. tons, that we don't move out of this time with guilt and shame. And so that's why we engage in cultural competency. But no, we come out of this with deep forgiveness, with deep opportunity for God to position us as people who can be agents of healing and Mm. bridge builders that can be about his work to cross culture. Hmm. So I don't want to leave that out. That's a good bottom line. That's a very, very deep topic. Those two things, lamenting and repenting, something we'll come back to in a future episode. But that's the heavy bottom line for today. Yeah, I I think that's the really appropriate way to leave it because it really all comes down to posture. And that's what you're talking about, a posture of lament and repentance before you get prescriptive. Because if you skip the posture work and go straight to the prescription, you know, that can that can be dangerous. And if you haven't done the the inner work, because people will pick up on that. And if your goals honestly your goals will not go deep enough to really address root causes because you haven't you don't even see that the root causes are there. So you're just start you're plucking weeds in a garden without pulling up the root. And next week you're just gonna have even more. And I think that goes back to what you're saying about this is a journey. And when you take the arc of knowing this is lament as a, also as a posture is okay with unanswered questions and not putting a bow on everything. Because some of the things we're pulling on here around culture, David, this goes back centuries of brokenness. It's not going to be a nice, neat and tidy DEI plan and then all goes well. I mean, it's being okay with things not being okay. And if you have that posture, that actually is going to be creating safer environments for people to be able to express the fullness of who, who God made them to be around you. But you've got you've to have the right posture. And it's, I think it's more turning the microscope from the other to yourself and saying, I'm not going to look at, okay, what I need to learn about you. Well, it starts with, I got to learn about myself to be even be able to see you clearly. It's a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. Long term, it's it's gritty, but it's worth it. Amen. Can I can I end a podcast with an amen? This isn't a church service, but uh, it felt appropriate. <laughs> okay, well, quality too. There we go. I I think that we proved uh, why you spent four chapters on this in in your book. So buckle up. Quality number three is up on deck. Giving power away. We're really just going to start to de-escalate. <laughs> the stakes here. We're just talking about power and how to give it away. Tune in next time. To learn more about 1110 Leadership, visit our website at 1110leadership.com. That's the numerals 11, then spelled out T-E-N leadership.com. That's 11-T-E-N leadership.com. There you'll find more resources to equip you on the journey of becoming an 1110 leader. You can also get connected to our growing leadership network. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. To help others find us, you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.